Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm here with Dr. Shami Thiessen, who is one of Australia's leading medical and aesthetic dermatologists, and she's founder of ODE Dermatology in Melbourne. Welcome, Shami. Thank you for having me. That's okay. We were just laughing because it's been one of those mornings for Shami. Kids are sick and all sorts going on. We all get it. <laughs> so I'd yeah, just like to the, say the juggle of the everyday woman or man, I guess. It is, yeah. And it, it does take something to actually to actually be present when something like that's happened. So yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. And I was going to say, you can call it ODE Dermatology or Ode, you know, like a love poem and Ode poem. I love that. (laughs) Things I wanted to ask you about was, as we grow older, and particularly as we hit menopause and the hormones don't quite work properly, and everything starts just, you know, gravity kind of takes over. (laughs) (laughs) What happens in our skin and what can we do because I'm noticing like I've always had big round cheeks chubby cheeks which has made me look a lot younger but I'm noticing yes. I'm, they're starting to go south now and I'm losing my jawline which is driving me insane but, and I'm not the only person what happens and what can you do to prevent it without necessarily going I don't know just talk to me about that kind of thing what can we do with our skin as we get into menopause so really, we know that, you know, estrogen, progesterone, insulin, cortisone, growth hormones, they all change as we move into that perimenopause to menopause period. So it kind of all goes south even chemically. So it makes sense that your skin and your fat pads and your bones go down south. But really, as estrogen weans off, we don't have that much collagen, elastin production. So you lose that plumpness. With aging, you know, you've got the, I call it a, you've got the intrinsic aging that you're just going to have over time that can be genetically determined. But then you've got these accelerated ages like pollutants, stress, eating too much sugar. Women, as we get into this perimenopause, menopause time, it's really unpopular to say this, but we've got to cut down on our alcohol because that seems to really kind of destroy our skin turnover, prevents rejuvenation. I mean, it's got other kind of cancer-prone effects too. Don't get me wrong, I love my glass of champagne or more, but it's something that we have to be aware of. So really at every level, you know, every part of our skin changes, our fat pads change, you'll get some areas that get jowly in the bottom part near your near your mandible, your jawline, and then that, you know, that groove that people don't like, that nasolabial fold, there's a fat pad above it that becomes almost fatter and, and, and bigger, but then the fat pad around your mid cheeks, your upper cheeks then deflate. So you've got this kind of imbalance of fat pads that happens with aging and our hormones do play a very big role in that. So what can we do to help that? Because perimenopause in and of itself is not 
for a lot of women, a nice thing to go through because our hormones are all mm. over the place. Our moods are all over the place. I didn't sleep and still struggle sleeping even now. There's so many things happening. And then, you know, you turn around and you go, oh, my God, what's happened to my skin? What can we do to help alleviate that and ease the transition? So I think awareness is the first thing. I'm finding that a lot of my women in their early 40s don't even assume that they're going through perimenopause. So, you know, they come in to see me and they go, show me my skin's just really dry. It's lost its luster. It's not, I've got brown age spots everywhere. I'm losing my hair, you know, but we don't seem to then talk about that perimenopause period. Then when you ask them, are you getting a bit anxious? Are you getting a bit mentally foggy? Are your joints hurting? You know, you got to have that constellation of symptoms. So awareness is key. And then you prepare. So I always say, start with a good regimented skincare. Cosmoceuticals have moved on massively. So a vitamin B3 serum in the morning, a vitamin C in the morning, potent anti-inflammatory. They're going to stop the degradation of your collagen, your elastin. At night, use a retinol because that's going to turn over your collagen a bit better. You're going to plump up your elastin. Um, Add in a lactic acid serum because what happens is um, normally our skin turnover from the top layer to the bottom layer of the epidermis, the top part of your skin, takes about 28 days. But as we go into that perimenopause and menopause period, it can go up to 50, 60 days. So you you have that kind of dry, you know, non-joined up skin that's more wrinkly, a bit more sallow. So there are kind of ingredients that we can put into our skincare to help that luminosity, you know. Simple things like, you know, why would you cleanse twice a day? We don't have enough barrier with ceramides, lipids. So you can actually infuse that with a potent ceramide moisturizer, a ceramide cleanser, fingo lipids, you know, all about hydration, I think, as we hit into that period. And then that's where technology moves on. So we've got um, one of my most favorite um, protocols that we have at Ode uses something called BBL, which is broad-based energy light treatment. And it will kind of address the redness, the rosacea, the brown age spots, the sun damage. But then it then at a molecular level actually turns on your anti-aging genes. So then the skin actually changes at that kind of cellular level. So you're not just looking good. You're actually making that prolonged difference. So that's where I think technology has really moved on and you got the right the right person to kind of lead you through that journey. But no, bringing it back to you with the small little saggy bits, like what I've done is something called um, ultrasound energy, where we use little columns of ultrasound energy to right go down to where the facelift muscles are to have that lift and then with the gels, you can actually add in um, contouring elements to melt those fat pads. So you have that lovely contour. So essentially, you know, be, be proactive. There's a lot out there that just uses your body's natural potential to heal without, you know, going under the knife or Botox or filler, which, you know, has its place in the right amount. But it's it's not the right look, I think, as we get older to be pumped full of, you know, filler. No, I've got to say personally, I'm not a fan of fillers. Me too. Tend to, especially, I was somewhere the other day, and this girl was young woman was next to me, and she worked in one of the beauty salons that do all the lip fillers and everything in in the big big shopping center near me, and. 
Her lips looked great from the front, but when she turned to the side, they must have stuck out like about that far from her face. I'm like, oh, mate, seriously, it's not a good look. <laughs> no, and you know, and the thing about lip filler in particular, it stays for a very long time. So you're it, you've got that for ages, and then you know, you almost your brain has this disconnect, and so you get desensitized to that look, and you keep chasing it. I mean, filler has moved on a lot. You know, you've got filler that can be mimicking bone. So as we get older, we might lose a bit of that bony prominence in that maxillary area. And you'd use a filler that just almost to get projection as opposed to get volume. There's this uh, movement towards dynamic filler. So the filler put in the right plane would move and you would emote and it would move with you as opposed to having these rocks on your face. So I like it all, I think. You know, I think you've got to... You've got to go with someone that you trust. You've also got to work with what feels comfortable with you. And I'm, I'm very big on your, your body having that potential to heal. The other big thing, though, I tell most of my women in that phase of life is exercise. You know, that the exercise bit is huge. So 40 minutes of a brisk walk has been shown to reduce wrinkles. But really, it's been shown in a lot of longevity studies to actually prolong your life. And, you know, 1.5 hours of exercise per week gave you extra longevity to about 46%, but doing three hours every week only gave you probably a couple of, you know, I think it was about 4% extra. So that middle ground, you don't have to be, you know, a thry athlete, but you've got to get your body moving. That has repercussions for your skin, your bone health. I like um, these machines out there now. I don't know if you've um, heard of, um, a machine called the um, M Sculpt Neo. So it's kind of groundbreaking. So 40 peered articles, TJ approved, FDA approved. It uses a combination of high intensity uh, focus electromagnetic stimulation and radio frequency. And you put these paddles on your tummy, for example, and you get a permanent 30% fat loss on your abdomen. I know, and a 25% permanent muscle build. And why I love it more is it also melts about 14% of your visceral fat, so the fat around your organs. And you do it like once a week for four weeks, and then you're done, and you maintain it with walking and lifestyle changes. But people need that kind of awareness that you can get medical help without actually going under the knife or stressing about, you know, a 16-week boot camp. There are things that you can almost biohack your body with. And, and we just need to do our own research and find these devices out there. It's interesting you say that because I was Googling recently about, you know, how to get rid of the facings and the mm. two options were face yoga, which may or may not work. Some, some people are absolute, they adhere to it. You know, they think it's wonderful. And then the other one was go under the knife. And there was kind of no options. So it's really surprising what you're saying because I had no clue about any of this. I mean, I keep saying Google is not your medical encyclopedia. There is so much out there. And that's why programs like this I love because you are interviewing an expert who's living and breathing in that world. And, you know, you're coming out there with information that people can then follow through. And I guess it's the same thing if you, you, if you go to a, a plumber, you just don't want to be Googling it. You hopefully want to find someone that's good from word of mouth. You want a recommendation, don't you, mm. rather than... Yeah, just Google it. And actually thinking about it now, one of my daughters who she actually, her job is to make Google ads. She said she never <laughs> reads anything on the first page because it's all paid either ads. paid 
or yes. they're paying someone to keep their SEO up to keep them on page one. She said, I always go down to the bottom of page two or page three. She said, don't look at anything else above that. You see, I mm. always feel bad to click on an ad because I feel that the, the, the owner had to pay for it. I do too. I never yeah. click on an ad. My daughter's horrified. <laughs> in my ads for my business for me I'm like no I never click on the ads you know I <laughs> know no, maybe that's I mean the other thing I'm realizing about social marketing a whole different world is how in the medical side too people are going to Instagram to get their information mm-hmm. TikTok so I've just ventured into that world and I must say you know if you can curate your own content and make it credible it's actually quite rewarding I mean I, I can't see myself doing a crazy TikTok video, but I think with Instagram, you know, just creating the awareness out there, like, and not every bit of dermatology is, you know, glamour or facelifts, you know, a lot of it is bread and butter, like, you know, vaginal issues, treating a wart, you know, a kid with eczema, um, melanoma. I mean, that's one of the the things I do every day is skin cancer surveillance, you know, rashes. So I'm now thinking, let's glamorize that, you know, because that's Mm. what People need to know that is okay to see your dermatologist, even if it's a small rash. You know, I think people have evolved over time to go, okay, if I've got a terribly big sunspot or a skin cancer, I'm going to go to my dermatologist. If I've got a rash that no GP has fixed, I'm going to go in. But why not come in a lot earlier? It just saves you a lot of heartache, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I've got a friend who suffers from really bad rosacea and has done for about a decade, and she just puts on lots of makeup to cover it up. What is other options other than just whacking on a load of makeup? Because I don't like wearing makeup, so I'd be stuffed if I had rosacea. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, rosacea is one of my main things that I do. It's really just an impact barrier. So coupled with your genetics, you know, if you've got Celtic origin, type one, type two skin, you tend to get it more. But I see lots of darker skin people with an impaired barrier who get rosacea. So the main thing is to work out, are you breaking out with it too? Because then I might start with a tablet. Lifestyle is huge in rosacea. So tell your mate, you know, get the, the gut health under control. So it means less dairy, less gluten, less sugar. Get your microbiome diverse. So the best way to do that really is to eat these kind of prebiotic foods like asparagus, kimchi, sauerkraut, take tons of prebiotics. So these are these hydrolyzed fibers that you just throw in into your food or smoothies. And that seems to kind of grow that diversity that you need. Lasers work amazingly well in rosacea. So a couple of treatments and you just restores that inflammation and all that redness. And then you maintain with lifestyle changes and skincare. That's where we talk about, you know, not over cleansing your face, um, using a vitamin B3 to really heal that barrier properly. So there's a lot that can be done. I mean, if you're a makeup person anyway, and you're not bothered by the redness or you're not getting that flushing with certain foods like alcohol, tomatoes, stress, then that's fine. It's not a life threatening condition. But it does make you age a lot more. And perimenopause, menopause really predisposes to rosacea being worse. Firstly, you're sweating. You've got that vasodilation. It's not fun. Early (laughs) intervention is key with that one. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Because my gut feeling was it came from a gut, which is, you know. Yeah. um, But... (laughs) That was really badly thought out sentence. (laughs) No, but it's so true, isn't it? It's our largest immune kind of collection. It's the Mm. biggest, you know, that mind, 
gut, but skin gut access is a true thing. My youngest daughter, she's found that when she eats gluten or sugar, she breaks out in spots and it's pretty much impossible to cut them out altogether. So she's just trying to figure out how to manage it best, you know, and it, it, so it goes off all ages. But coming back to menopause, hair loss, this is mm. something else because one of the things I want to do in the podcast is cover all these topics that we don't talk about, like you yeah. say. Most women go into perimenopause without knowing anything about it other than you get the sweats and some people don't, but they don't realize what's going on at all. So we do need to have that conversation. And hair loss is one of the things, isn't it? I didn't know that either. Till it's it's massive. I mean, I'm a, I'm a hair specialist, so that's what I do day in and day out. So that's lots of different reasons for hair loss. You know, it can be alopecia areata where you get patches, you can get scarring processes. You can get telogen effluvium where you're just getting that reactionary shed, for example, after the baby um, during breastfeeding. So same thing with perimenopause and menopause. You can have that reactionary shed as our progesterone, estrogen fluctuate and decline. But the other major thing is like men, women, we thin out. You know, we've got this condition called female pattern androgenetic alopecia, which is genetic about 50% genetic, and then our hormones kind of come into the mix. So you might have that tendency and then perimenopause, menopause just unmasks it to its full glory. So then, you know, you do get that when you tie up your hair, you've got that less volume, you can see all the gaps. The worst thing is when you're in a change room and those down lights and you can start seeing all the gaps in your crown. But the biggest thing is you can treat that now. So we've got a simple tablet that will literally grow your hair back very, very financially accessible, minimal side effects. I mean, everybody has got a bespoke plan, but there is things that you can do now to hold your hair because hair is a massive thing as we age. With the skin kind of changing, that's one thing, but women with thin hair, that's a whole different ballgame. I think just psychologically, it's, it's, it's very upsetting, but also it ages you 20 years when you've got thinner hair. So I would say treat it. Um, I've pioneered this injection therapy that uses a combination of hair signaling molecules with hyaluronic acid. I use a bit of Botox, um, triamcinolone, a cortisone, and I inject that into the scalp. And that's been touch wood phenomenal in that it kind of puts your hair from that dropping off phase, telogen, to anagen, which is the growth phase. And that varies, you know, from one year to five years in each person. So you might do two sessions about three months apart and then never have to do it for a while or you might maintain it once a year if you don't want to take tablets because the tablets you know some women do not want to take tablets every day so they would much rather this so technology medicine is at its best it's really fascinating how far everything's come isn't it because I'm just that you were talking earlier on about serums and I'm (laughs) I'm you use anything it's four different serums, two creams and an oil. <laughs> what do you use? So I use the Kiehl's range of things. Yeah, I, like so range. I can't remember. I know there's a vitamin C serum. There's a skin whitening serum. There's a retinol serum. I use an yeah. AHA thing uh, before I put everything on in the morning. And then there's another one that I can't remember, but that's the one I put on first because it makes everything else sink in. And then I have an eye serum as well. <laughs> well done you. Do you have a, do you have a sunscreen? 
I do use a sunscreen when I go out, but I've got the, I've got a yellow based skin, so I'm not too bad with the sunscreen. If I'm out riding the horse or doing something, yes, sunscreen. But most of the time, I'm not out for long enough to to really impact it. I'm naughty with the sunscreen unless I know I'm going to be out a lot. Yeah. Can I say that's one of the most important things because we know you're doing all these podcasts. You're in front of the computer. Blue light itself just ages you, so you would. Just find a nice zinc sunscreen that's light so you're not having to put any chemicals on your skin and then use that as a daily basis. That is huge. Okay. Um, That's going to prevent all these brown age spots that we get as we get older, you know, the wrinkling. And it's that cumulative photo aging that seems to creep up on us women. So. I know. I'm, I'm having, having my cocktail. <laughs> yeah. I'm having my spots zapped at the moment, you know, the lasers. Yeah. yeah, so they're getting done at the moment. But that's like a six month process, you know. You go once a month and ding ding ding. Oh, the place I'm going to it is anyway. Or you could just get a, a skin cancer cream called five fluorouracil and do it yourself in winter and it's over in three weeks. Oh, really? And it doesn't kind of scar you because you're, it's a controlled um, apoptosis. So da- the damaged cells clear themselves away. And that cream is about 40 bucks, you know. Oh, so, and is yeah. it just over the counter or do you get it? No, it's a prescription. Prescription only, right. So you just go yeah. to your doctor and get it. Yeah, 5-FU or FUDIX. You know, dermatologists will be all over it. But your GP could also start you on that process without you having to go in and zap and then have that blister, the redness. It just takes ages. Yeah, I know it does. I know it's annoying. I just want it done now. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could laser it off and then it'll be done in a day. That works then when you laser it off. And that's a specialist treatment that that a dermatologist does, is it? So, yes, your dermatologist would have these different lasers. So laser is a very broad category. And that in itself, you know, you, you, you have to really learn all the different wavelengths and its users. So if someone's got rosacea, you're looking more... Um, at the wavelength that would target blood vessels or else if you're looking at the sun damage we would use different types of lasers from the erbium laser or 1927 to kind of slough off that areas of sun damage Um, if it's a tattoo you would use a different laser if it's pigment you would use a pico laser that doesn't use much heat but almost just shatters pigment something called a photoacoustic thing you know there's no point learning all this it takes you 15 years to be really good at this so Go and get your skin assessed. But it might be that you just need that, you know, inexpensive skin cancer cream, which would target that sun damage so you're not um, predisposing yourself to getting skin cancers down the track. The other thing that I reckon everybody should know about is vitamin B3. Do you take a vitamin B3? Mm, Yeah, I do, yeah. Good. Because one gram of vitamin B3 has been shown in studies to reduce sunspots. Um, In someone with basal cells or squamous cells, it's actually been shown to reduce your rate of getting new ones. They've got melanoma trials on this, and it's a simple B3 tablet that most of us can tolerate that can change the way your genes express. So I guess all this brings me into my real interest of I love the way that the skin, being our largest organ, we can kind of manipulate the environmental aspects of it so that we can better it from inside out so taking a tablet to stop your skin cancer risk doing laser therapies that you know at that molecular level actually change your skin your gut health 
as much as possible, reducing that abdominal fat, because that seems to be a big problem for us women as we head into menopause and perimenopause. You know, men in their younger years tend to store more fat in their abdomen. Women before perimenopause, it tends to go on our hips and our bum um, and our thighs. But after menopause or during that menopause time, we almost become more masculine in the way we store fat. And that abdominal fat, you know, leads to, you know, pre-diabetes, cardiovascular issues, worse sleep. Um, You've got an inflammatory cascade that's then going to, you know, hit your skin. Because when you've got inflammation in your body, that's going to attack your collagen, your elastin, your epidermis. So so essentially the, the message is you can do all the um, things on the surface, but you've got to work from inside out for that maintenance. Let's just go a couple of steps backwards here. Let's talk about melanoma because this Hmm. is the incidence of melanoma. Does it get greater as you get older just because you get more sunspots and things? Yes, so it's twofold. One is you get that cumulative sun exposure that then, you know, insults your cell turnover. So you're going to get more photo damage over time. But really, the fact we all have to embrace is every day we're producing cancerous tumor genic cells. When you're younger, your immune system is robust. It's very good at clipping them out. But as we get older, with senescence kicking in, with the milieu of hormones changing, our growth hormone is not so good. It's so low. Our testosterone is not as high, you've got messaging to different parts of your immune system changing. So we're not very good at catching those early cancerous cells. So age is a factor in that for sure. But so is that accumulation of sun damage, alcohol exposure, stress. I think stress is another thing that we now know can predispose you to getting any type of cancer. So yeah, it's a combination of both aging Um, and the kind of decline of our immune surveillance. Why do we produce cancer-growing cells? I can't remember the exact term that you used. It's like I always say, um, having done genetics as a research in medical school and after, our body is a little factory of cells and you get a dud every so often off that conveyor belt. So you've got your genes and they express proteins and every every few every few cycles you get a dud and we're very good at engulfing the dud but as we get older we don't seem to have that tenacity or that prowess to take off those abnormal cells which 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 is why i love this have you heard of autophagy oh my god it's going to blow your mind so autophagy I'm obsessed about it. So this lovely Japanese scientist won the Nobel Prize in 2016 for autophagy. So autophagy is where your body gets optimized to clean up dead cells, abnormal proteins, almost like a little bit of a a spring clean of your house, the detox. So as we get older, especially as we hit the horrid perimenopause and menopause, not horrid, you know, other lifestyle things that I love about it. I'm older and wiser, I tell myself. We don't seem to have autophagy in place. So how can you how can you have more autophagy? Little lifestyle changes, um, intermittent fasting. It's been shown that women, especially if we do a 12-hour fast most days, so have an early dinner, you know, have a later breakfast, that seems to kickstart autophagy. 
um, having a bit more of a ketogenic diet. So the good fats, cutting down your carbs, you know, maybe to about 25 to 30 grams net carbs. So that's when you take your carbs and then remove the fiber bit. Having lots of detox vegetables to make sure your elimination system is is excellent. Um, Exercising, all of that seems to help with autophagy, which is that cleanup. So our cells have this organelle, little cell appendage in it called the lysosome, and that just sucks up all that debris and it's forced to chew it up if you starve yourself for a little bit and do that periodic time interval eating and you cut down your carbs and not have too much protein. That is super cool. I think autophagy has been shown in a lot of longevity studies, a lot of cancer studies to reduce cancer rates. Um, There's an excellent author called Victor Longo or, or the Longo Diet, and he talks about the five pillars of aging. And he's worked very closely with um, patients going through chemotherapy and has found that if we make the patients do interval fasting or a fast mimicking diet where they reduce the calories to about 500 um, or if they fast for 16 hours in a day, they seem to have so many less side effects with chemotherapy, but also have a better clearance of their cancers. So it's wild. That's really interesting. My, I'm going to work out this relationship. My daughter-in-law's father mm. um, currently has terminal cancer. And I'm not just talking one cancer. He's got brain tumors. He's got lung cancer. He's got liver cancer, cancer of the spleen, cancer of the kidney. Oh. He's, got, he's just, he's had terminal cancer for 10 years, but now it's really terminal. But oh. they've recently discovered that he doesn't have the gene that fights cancers which is why he's got all of these cancers. And I just found that fascinating. Is there actually a gene that fights cancers and it's missing in him? I know. I'm sorry to hear about that. It's so it's it's so disheartening and, and tragic when oh, you have to awful. go through a process like that. But one of the key cancer fighting or tumor suppressor genes is P53. So P53, when you've got a genetic mutation where you don't express it as much or it's not as robust, you are then going to throw yourself to all these different cancers. But yeah, that, that's what I think, you know, medicine is coming to. Like with melanoma treatments, we now have targeted genetic blockers, immune therapy. Like I do a lot of psoriasis and eczema. We've got drugs now or injections that actually target one part of that inflammatory pathway that causes psoriasis. So instead of immune suppressing every bit with the traditional immune suppressants like steroids or mesotrexate, we've got these targeted therapies out there that would help a condition. So it's it's no more kind of a nuclear Hiroshima bomb treatment. It's very finessed. It's like, you know, a drone strike in, in little areas. So medicine has come really far. I think we are living in a very exciting time with research but there is just not much information out there. I think people think that a medical professional is only going to give them medication, but a lot of us are moving now onto, you know, the epigenetics of it. So how can we influence your genes by positively influencing your environment, whether it's autophagy fasting, whether it's a B3, whether it's technology on your face or your body, it's huge. So my my recent guilty purchase is... (laughs) 
So, I, you know, having had two kids, I thought I was going to be spared with incontinence because I've got, I've had two cesareans. But just, you know, having two babies in you for that long really just weakens that pelvic floor. And a lot of my women that I see for maybe vaginal dryness or an autoimmune condition that causes rashes down there, a lot of the factors also like that kind of weakness of the pelvic floor, incontinence, that seems to get a lot worse in perimenopause and menopause. But there is now a chair that you literally sit on clothes and that lifts your pelvic floor by, you know, using electric, sorry, electromagnetic stimulation. And it, and it just tightens it in four treatments and 98% have massive improvement in their incontinence, sexual pleasure, lubrication. So I think, you know, this feels, this, this podcast feels like a homage to medicine. Thank you. <laughs> non-invasive medicine that's it yes Mm. and it's great that I'm talking to you because it's like it's either stuff that you put on your skin you know you do lots of creams or you might go to one of the skin salons and get a bit of laser treatment or it's you under the knife but you're telling me no the medical profession is actually there's a massive area between those two things that can help enormously without you going under the knife or just resorting to surface stuff. Absolutely. My advice to anyone is do it all. Because, for example, once the surface vessel rosacea is better, you're going to have less inflammation in your skin and that's going to talk to your gut they, they talk via chemical messengers. So your gut's going to be a lot happier too. Do your gut so your skin is happy. Remove the fat and gain muscle, which is the biggest currency as we age. The more muscle we have, our metabolic rate is better. Our mental state is also shown to be better. We have less falls. Our bone density improves if you've got better muscle density. And then do your pelvic floor. And that whole kind of like, you know, inside out treatment gives you what you want. I I reckon there shouldn't be camps. There seems to be, oh, you see a naturopath, I'm not going to see a doctor. There there are not many of us, I think, who do want to embrace all of it, but we are emerging to know that we get the best outcomes for our patients if we do it all. The chair you were talking about, is that the Ancella chair? Yes. Yes. I interviewed a lady from Sydney Pelvic Clinic a few weeks ago talking about the Ancella chair and I'm going to go and have a go somewhere up here that you it was have to it was it sounded like so much fun because I've been very lucky in that regard in the mm. I've got a very strong pelvic floor because I've been a swimmer and a horse rider my whole life so mm. you know pelvic floor is good that's it yeah it's still everything it's still difficult to keep up muscle tone in the rest of my body never mind the pelvic floor you know mm. It's hard work. And then you hear about vaginal atrophy and all those kind of things. And the Ancella chair can help with that, can it? Yes. And lubrication, clitoral sensation. So there's there's stuff that, you know, no amount of Kegel exercise is going to be able to build new pelvic floor muscles. So that's where I think that chair excites me. And, and do it early in life. I like the way it's not invasive. No one's going to put a probe in you and things mm. like that. You just literally mm. sit on a chair. It's not a walk in the park like you would, you know, depends how you want to do it. Like there's this really cheesy show called The Bling Empire. It's LA. It's kind of glitz and glamour or whatever. But they use that chair to get orgasmic pleasure in clinic. And I'm like, that's definitely one angle. Go for it if it happens. But why it's 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 pretty intense it's really kind of big contractions um and then you get used to it 
But what we've been finding with all the papers is that even after three treatments, women who were using incontinence pads were having not to be able to use it. Wow. Yeah, I just think it's going to be so important for your posture, your confidence, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm reasonably young, I think, but if I have a couple of drinks, I'm rushing, I've drunk water, I haven't gone to the loo, and then I'm rushing home and I'm trying to turn the key, I almost feel that stress incontinence, and I'm like, this cannot be happening. Um, And I blame it on the hormones and the kids. It's like all of a sudden, when you've mm. got to go to the toilet, you got to go now. There's no warning. I know. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, so that's going to be my little treat for myself. I, I can't believe your naughty purchase was an M seller chair. That's hilarious. The rest of us go out and buy a dress or a pair of shoes. <laughs> I am a dermatologist, so you know it's for the common good. I tell myself. But every everybody laughs because every you know, it's oh very lucky with all the machines, but everything has been handpicked with the best research evidence. But I always think it's going to help me, but it's also going to help and make make it accessible to so many people. Yeah, I think we need to wrap it up there. There's so much more I want to ask, but I'm just aware of the time, and we could keep going. <laughs> we can, but no, I had such a good time. Thank you for having me, and we'll chat very soon. We will. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.